Hello and welcome in to episode three of the No Show Sportscast. I'm Trevor Coos and joined again, as always, by Mark Ling. We've got a pretty jam-packed show planned once again, so we're going to jump right into it. But uh, real quick on the top, uh, we went the entire last show without mentioning the email or the blog, so I want to get that out of the way now before we forget again. Noshowsports.blogspot.com And if you ever have any... Uh, insight or uh, opinions that you want to share with us noshowsports at gmail.com is the email for part one today we are going to be talking all-star games it is pro bowl season we are recording this on a sunday once again and the pro bowl is going to be taking place at some point who really knows who really cares the one improvement we'll get to when we get to the pro bowl but I do know that it's happening today which is unusual for a pro bowl game but uh so we're going to kind of be talking about all four of the major all-star games. We're going to start with our favorite, the MLB all-star game. Oh, I thought you were going to say hockey. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. I think hockey is going to be last and shortest. Um, the MLB all-star game uh, has gone through some changes back in the 70s uh, when we had the likes of Pete Rose and Willie McCovey and even further back uh, when we had the Ted Williams and you know the, a lot of Hall of Famers of today. You know, there were a lot of people trying a lot harder than that you might argue people do today. A lot of guys don't really care for the All-Star game. They see it more as a opportunity to get a break and maybe get healthy and uh, help their actual team uh, further into the season. There isn't that much incentive. Bud Selig tries a little bit with the uh, home field advantage, but uh, even that hasn't really spurred much interest, at least in the greater public. Yeah, the home field advantage thing was just a response to him um, canceling the game, the 2002 All-Star game, yeah. when they ran out of pitchers, Joe yeah. Torre and I can't remember the manager, but Doesn't they, they used all their pitchers point. before the yeah. 11th inning and canceled the game. And then the very next year, they did the now it counts thing. Yeah, I'll we screwed it. up really big last year, but wait, wait, it counts now. <laughs> yeah, so that's the problem with any All-Star game is that the players just don't care. So if the players don't care, then fans aren't going to care. Yeah. It would be, it's a, it's a great concept. Seeing all the best players play against each other exactly. is, it, is it, a great concept. In theory, you would think it would be a lot more interesting and draw a lot more attention from uh, worldwide uh, media. But really, um, NBA has the dunk contest that gets a lot of press. Uh, the home run derby always gets a lot of press for the 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 baseball all star game, but aside from that, there isn't really much to let people even know after the game happens. Yeah, they are gonna they're not gonna stop doing the all star games yeah. because they make money. The stadiums are always full. Exactly. So they in the hometown as soon as you build a new stadium, basically you get an all star game in your town, and that's huge for the the economy of your of your town because you have visitors coming of. Players from all around the country coming to to stay in your town for a week or however long it is. So, all star games are here to stay, but unless they get the players to care, I don't think fans are going to care. Yeah, I mean, PNC Park was a very interesting all star game uh, a few years ago. I, I really don't think that it, anything that baseball can do will will get uh, at least televised numbers up. Like you said, it's always going to be full. Even now that they have the uh, the future game with all the prospects, that's often has a lot of that often has a lot of seats sold, and of course the home run derby is always sold out every year. Home run derby is almost has a better chance of being sold out than the game some years. Yeah, I'm sure that's higher rated than the actual All Star game because I've watched the home run derby the last five years, but I've, I'm not sure I've seen an entire All Star game ever. Yeah, definitely. Um, moving on to football, which is my choice for the least interesting and least uh, newsworthy all-star game out of them all, the Pro Bowl, uh, as we were talking at the top. Um, it's happening today, which is new. It used to happen the week after the Super Bowl out in Hawaii. That contract has ended. So um, they decided to move it to Miami where the Super Bowl will be played next week. But like we were saying, the only difference that it has caused, at least for me, is that I know it is happening today. I will not be watching it. I have way more important things to do than watch, especially now. The, and the really the main argument that people have against this move is that it takes the Super Bowl teams out, 
and uh, most of the um, losers in the NFC and AFC championship games. Any guys who are in are probably not going to play. Yeah, uh, a couple other things. All of the players who are on Super Bowl teams who were voted to the Pro Bowl, I think it's 15 players this year, are required to go to Miami early, a couple days early, before the rest of their teams yeah. get there for the Pro Bowl festivities. They're going to like cart them out and make them yeah. wave and so stuff. So they're, they're taking time away from their Super Bowl preparation Absolutely. so they can you know, schmooze the crowd or whatever. But... So, yeah, it's it's in Miami this year. It's going back to Hawaii in 2011, 2012, and the Hawaii Gaming Bureau or whatever organization they have over there is is petitioning the NFL to move it to the week or the week or the week or two after the Super Bowl, like it was in the past. Because yeah, it, it, this will be very telling this year. Uh, what the rating? If the ratings do get a big spike, because I mean, it's kind of like the Super Bowl is the end of the movie. Why would you want to watch the credits the next week? So at least now, like, this, the story isn't over. People still have a lot of interest in football at this point. So I, I think that it could see a pretty big increase in, in ratings. Obviously not on our end, but, um, you know, maybe a, a fair amount of people um, out there will be uh, tuning in more so than in the past because it's often the least watched all-star game including hockey sometimes yeah and this year for some, for whatever reason there's even less players actually playing in the in the pro bowl i know there was uh, six quarters quarterbacks originally scheduled to play in the pro bowl and one of them is actually playing in the pro bowl that's really? aaron Rodgers. nice the afc's quarterbacks do you know who they are matt schaub matt schaub Vince david young, garrard and, and Vince, Vince young yeah, exactly and Obviously, Matt Schaub's going to start because he's the only competent quarterback of those three. Um, <laughs> yeah, which how is... Kyle Orton didn't get in is kind of shocking. <laughs> yeah. And that's saying something when Kyle Orton is a pretty big snub, then there's a problem going yeah. on. Yeah. So they were getting pretty close to using Jamarcus Russell, which is <laughs> not something that you want. Yeah, I think we probably would have seen Gredkowski first. But, but yeah, I mean, it's just... Ne- I think football players take their all-star game uh, least serious out of all athletes. Yeah, and I think they get it pa- definitely shows. They get paid a lot of money, and the, each player on the winning team gets forty-five thousand yeah. dollars, which sounds like a lot to the normal person, but to a football player whose base salary it, is at least it's in the neighborhood of three or four hundred thousand dollars a year. The cheapest, the yeah, lowest, like the, paid the long snapper yes. makes makes that much. Yes, so. And the, and the players on the losing team get uh, 22500 I believe. So that's their incentive to make the people want to play. But unless they bump that up a couple decimal points, I don't think it's it's going to... Which I don't think they can unless they actually get you know some uh, people watching the game on TV. Yeah, I th- but I think that would... I think one, it's like the chicken or the egg. Are you gonna are people gonna watch on TV before you pay, or are you going to pay the players more to care about the game and then have the ratings go up? It's yeah. And, you know, it, it will be interesting next year when they uh, move back to Hawaii to see what ends up happening. But I can, uh, with fairly good certainty, say that I will not be watching a Pro Bowl game anytime in the next three to five years, I'd say. I'm making it my mission to get you to watch a Pro Bowl game <laughs> in the next three to five years. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be pretty hard to get that to happen. Let's do hockey next. Let's end with basketball. We end with basketball. Okay, hockey. The only thing that I have since I've never watched an entire hockey game is that at one point they went to the North America versus the world instead of East versus West, which was fairly interesting for a while. Back in high school when I didn't have any anything better to do, uh, I did pay some attention to hockey, at least more so than now. And it was always interesting to see you know, countrymen playing together and, and USA and Canada trying to uh, hold them off. And often North America would win. Obviously, Canada. Canada. <laughs> Where, you know, it's... Anyway. But um, now they, they've they moved back to East versus West uh, for some time now. And it, it I'd say within the realm of hockey fans, there's still a lot of interest in it, more so than football fans for the Pro Bowl. Yeah. It's just that hockey, after the strike and being, uh, they're only on Versus now. And then late season, they're on some ABC. They're just not televised. They're not able to get out in general um, to the public. So I think that um, it's gonna, they're going to be the fourth sport. 
I mean, it, it's just not going to happen. They're not going to increase their popularity at all. Yeah, they they're actually probably below the fourth sport because I count would like college football counts as a yeah, separate I'm sport. Yeah, I'm professional sports. Yeah, but yeah they're but definitely they're, down there. They're not um, very interesting, at least with the wider public. Like I was saying, hockey fans are fairly uh, passionate about their teams, and I bet they care about the All Star Game a little bit. Like I was saying, more so than football fans, definitely. So. uh but yeah, that's about all we got for the NHL All-Star Game. Any hockey fans out there listening that want to school us on the importance of it, uh, feel free. But uh, we're going to move on to the NBA to finish out before we get to our top three. And NBA, really, it, the All-Star Game doesn't matter at this point. Nobody even plays any defense until the last, like, maybe five minutes. And the only thing that people remember is the dunk contest. I actually remember one thing from an All-Star game, and it it was a couple years ago. It was when Tracy McGrady was relevant. He lobbed a pass off the backboard and like his own alley oop and dunked it in. And that's the kind of stuff that Tracy like, McGrady almost All-Star this year. You mean? Yeah, Tracy McGrady hasn't played a game and is almost <laughs> on the All-Star team. In He's the played like five games, but has he? Yes, he he played for a couple minutes, and then um, the team got they were arguing or something, and he wants to be traded now, so he hasn't been playing. Well. Um, but yeah, even though he's, it's still not to the point where it would have been, uh, normal for him to, uh, get into the All-Star game. Still fairly ridiculous that that was even close. Yes. He's played six games and averaged 7.7 minutes. Yeah. So that's an All-Star for you. And really that's, that's the one thing is that, um, it's completely on the fans and this year they have shown that that's not necessarily something you want to give them. Uh, with Iverson ending up in the starting uh, lineup for the East now, I guess, even though he started the season in the West. That's the thing about the All Star Game, though, is that it's it's for the fans. It's it's, it's, it's just it's just to make money. For the NBA. Yeah, it's just to make money. So the whole it doesn't matter really who gets in as long as the fans want to see them there. Yeah. So if Tracy McGrady were to get in, it would be the it would actually be really good for the NBA because. Yeah. It would be this whole story about how this stupid guy got in. Everyone would be watching the game because it would be this guy who only averaged seven minutes a game got in. That's into. true. And and really, it would have been all on China. Like I, I like to blame a lot of stuff on China, but this really would have been their fault because of um, the country's interest in the Rockets because of Yao Ming. Uh, Tracy McGrady is actually has a lot of popularity over there. And that's people are saying that's why he was um, at least in the running at a certain point, but uh, yeah, that I the NBA All Star Game I take the least serious out of all of these because they're they're not even trying 100%. Like, yeah, the Pro Bowl is a bit of a joke, but when the guys go out there, the linemen don't like kind of push each other. They still hit each other in the head, and you know the cornerbacks still try to hurt the wide receivers. You can't play football half-assed. Basketball. They play it half-assed until the last five minutes. Yeah, the ba- the basketball all-star game seems kind of like the Harlem Globetrotters exactly. against the Harlem Globetrotters. So it's 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 just showing off. Yeah. All right, we're gonna move on to our top three to finish the segment. And today's top three is most memorable uh, all-star moments um, out of all of history. So, uh, do you want to start us off, Mark? Yes. Um, I'm going to go... I looked at a couple lists of memorable All-Star moments, and there was a lot, like uh, Babe Ruth hitting a home run in the first ever yeah. uh, All-Star game. Then there was uh, Ted Williams throwing out the first pitch in the 1999 All-Star game, and mm-hmm. then Pedro Martinez striking out the side in the first inning, because it, yeah. it was Red Sox Day or whatever. That was... Uh, 99, yeah. That was McGuire, Sosa, and Barry Larkin. Yep, exactly. Um, Not in that order. So, there, there are things like that. Um, but those aren't things that I remember. So I'm going to go with things my most memorable. Yeah, that's what this is for. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. All right. So Number three. Number number three, I'm going to go with, um, it was a couple years ago, it was a baseball all-star game. It was when I think Torrey Hunter was still on the Twins and Barry Bonds. This is, was the Milwaukee all-star game. I can't remember the year. It was what? in Milwaukee. Milwaukee? When Barry Bonds yes. hit a home run, or exactly hit, hit, hit the ball deep to center field, and Torrey uh, snagged it. Pulls it back. Yeah, robs uh, Barry Bonds of the home run in the All-Star game, and then they were 
the uh, AL was running off the field and NL was running out into the field and Barry Bonds picked up Torrey Hunter on his yes. shoulder and started carrying him around. I absolutely remember that moment. <laughs> that is uh, was a great one. I'm, I can't remember the year, but that was in Milwaukee. Let's see if I can find it. Oh two. That was the tie two. game. Yeah. That was the tie game. That was the was that the, was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Seven seven Miller Park in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. If only Torrey Hunter didn't rob that home run. That was that's <laughs> the difference right there. So that's why the, you didn't even know it, but that's why it was so memorable. Yep. Okay, so number. Well, let's, we're gonna switch something up. We're gonna start going back and forth. So number three for me, I wasn't alive. wasn't even close to alive, but seeing the highlights, this is one of the biggest. Um, most replayed highlights of all All-Star games. And that was in 1971 in uh, Detroit Tiger Stadium. Uh, Reggie Jackson's home run that um, it hit like the lights. He went uh, the natural on it and uh, ended up landing in the um, back in the field. But uh, every everyone who ha- was there has said that that would have been the longest home run they have ever seen. The, it was a no doubter just gone the second it hits the bat like even with the old film like that's just such an imp- uh Reggie Jackson was on the A's at the time and um yeah so that that's my number 3 so number 2 number 2 for me is going to be home run derby just in general uh, i don't have a specific moment because it's there's not like one super impressive home run mm. that's more impressive than the others but there i remember Bobby Abreu, a couple years ago, he broke the record for, it was like 28 home runs in one round or something, and then he was messed up for the entire second yeah. half. And I think recently, I think that record was broken. Hamilton, okay. I think. Josh Hamilton, yeah. right? So yeah, seeing guys like that, like Josh Hamilton, who was a druggie for a while and then came back to baseball, and seeing things like that, like uh, just the 20-something home runs in a span of five minutes. Is, Such an impressive yeah. showing of power. That's uh, something I remember. Um, all right, so my number two... I'm going to go uh, out of baseball for this. I'm going to go basketball. I'm going to go Nate Robertson dunk contest. When he when he pulls out the, the green jersey and the green ball and he's jumping over Dwight Howard and the Superman outfit. Like I'm not even that big of a fan of basketball. And I that's one thing that always stands out in my mind was that dunk where he clears Dwight Howard. Yeah, that was going to be my number one was the Dwight Howard Superman uh, Superman dunk. Yes, that, that uh, was, that was just that whole show. Just yeah. him taking off his jersey and having the Superman uh, tank top on underneath, yeah. putting on the cape, and then flying over the hoop, yeah. throwing, not even dunking, but like throwing the yeah, ball just, in the hoop yeah. from like a couple feet over the hoop. Yeah. That was, that's, I'll, I'll remember that. That was great. All right, so is that your number? Was that your number one? number one? That's your number one. Uh, my number one. I was thinking about going Bud Selig with the in O two, the just ruining it, but it wasn't necessarily his fault. It was kind of just it finally showed uh, all of baseball that this is kind of a flawed system, and they changed it up. Now they have the extra pitcher that they always hold off just in case. So my number one, I'm going to go Cal Ripken in the 0-1 game at Safeco Field. Uh, his last All-Star game was playing third base. The AL team was home, so in the top of the first, they were taking their warm-ups. And Alex Rodriguez, who was in Texas at the time and playing shortstop still, walks over and tells Cal to go take uh, the shortstop spot. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. And he looks over, and then Joe Torre's like, yeah, you need to go over and play shortstop. He, everyone else knew except Cal Ripken that that was going to happen. And then his first at-bat of the game, it's a home run. A no-doubter home run to left field. So just like to see such a great player go out with such a bang, that that's, stands out in my mind in all-star uh, history. All right, so we are going to take a break. And our music today is brought to us from Music Alley by Mevio, and it's Dennis Kitchen...
Alright, welcome back everyone. This is part two of episode three of the No Show Sportscast. And once again, we're going to be talking some fantasy baseball. It's not that far around the corner, everyone. You need to start getting ready. And it's something Mark and I talk about all the time and argue about all the time. So uh, we're going to get right into it. We're going to start with some over-unders. I've picked out a uh, fairly large group of players this week. And uh, number one is uh, someone on Mark's team, not Mark's fantasy team, but uh, the Red Sox. All right. Jacoby Ellsbury, stolen bases, and uh, he had 70 last year, Mm -hmm. but I'm setting the over-under at 65.5 for next year. 65 and a half stolen bases for Jacoby Ellsbury over-under. Well, I'm going to say under. Under. Yes, he will get less. He will get 65 or below stolen bases. Okay. Because... But you're going to say close, too, still. I'll say, yeah, right around there. I'll right. say in between 55 and 65. I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb, I think, and say over. I think he's fairly a uh, good player, and if he can play left field and not worry as much about defense with Mike Cameron in center, who knows how that's actually going to shake up. But um, I think that he can um, definitely, I'd say 70 is within reach again. All right. Number two, Carl Crawford. Stolen bases again. He had 60 last year, but he's a much more proven player than uh, Jacoby Ellsbury, so I'm setting the over-under at 65.5. He had 60. He's never had 65.5 in his career. He, he's had No, he's not. He's had 60, and the next highest, uh, 59, 58. Yeah. So he's never had more than 60 in his yeah. career. But he's kind of getting into that prime years for a player. Yeah, he's 28. Um, coming off a career year of sorts. All right. He played more games last year than he ever had. He had... Uh, okay, so... I'm going to say under. You're going to say under? I don't think he can, I don't think he can do it. Nah, it was the drop-off. Yeah, he had 40 in the first half last yeah. year. and then He definitely tailed off. Now, part two of the question... How many of those stolen bases will be for the Rays? How many of the... Uh, we'll say 60. We'll see he'll get 60. How many yeah. stolen bases? I think I think all of them. I think they'll be in contention you don't for think the whole year. Traded. No, because I think they'll be they'll be in the running in the AL East all year. They'll be fighting for at least the wild card in the AL. And if you're fighting for a wild card spot and you're a team that's probably going to win 90 games, you don't trade away one of your best players. Yeah, they're in a... Uh interesting situation because they are up there in talent but they are such a uh, small market team that um i believe he's a free agent after this year am i am i right i think i think he is um so uh i i think he might get traded it it really it, it will depend on where they are in the standings if they are third even if they're fairly close if they are third in the AL East behind the Red Sox and the Yankees come trading deadline, I think we might see a trade. Depending on... I think they're going to want to get a huge package for him, similar to the Mark Teixeira package. But, um... I... I, If I had to bet, I would say that he gets traded. Alright. So, how many stone bases are for the race? I'm going to say... He gets... six. If we say 60, I'm going to say maybe... 45. 45 for the Rays. So 45 steals before the trading deadline yeah. for Kyle Crawford. I think he's going to... I think the depending on where he gets traded, I think he might see a pretty big drop-off in production. Uh, he's never really... He's never been in a big market, and if he does get traded to the Yankees or someone like that... I bet you if he, go, if he goes to the Angels because they, they need some offense, I say he, he steals even more. Well, if they he goes to the more. Angels, they'll just let, let him run. And exactly. They'll, they'll go crazy. Um, in which case... 60.5, I'd probably take the over. Anyway, moving on, we're going to try to keep these kind of shorter than last week. We're going to go stolen bases once again. We're going to go Niger Morgan of the Washington Nationals. He had 42 last year, but he got hurt. He only uh, had, uh, let's see, 400 or so at-bats total. 469 at-bats. 469 at-bats 120 total. games, 42 stolen bases. Um, 42 stolen bases. So in a full season, potential, we're, we're assuming health for all of these over-unders. 
full healthy season, Niger Morgan playing center field for the Washington Nationals, 45.5 stolen bases. 45 and a half stolen bases. Let's see. Niger Morgan, assuming a full season, as you said, I say he gets over. Okay. But I'm not sure he plays a full season. Now, do you think that's... I think I think he could get hurt because yeah. he's seen, he's he's 29 and his first season was two years ago, so he's a late bloomer. Right. Um, he's getting up there. He's older than you would think, and apparently just as brittle as you would think, considering his age, because he missed most of last year. Yeah. Um. I'm gonna take the over as well. I think Niger Morgan is a late bloomer, but I think, um, once he gets back on the field this spring, I think he's gonna continue his pace for last year and maybe even get over 50 or 55. I think he's uh, fairly underrated. Um, it doesn't happen very often that a player comes out of nowhere this late in their career, but I'm going to say I am pro Niger Morgan. Next up, uh, fairly similar to Niger Morgan and our last stolen base numbers for the day. Uh, Juan Pierre. He's currently on the White Sox. He got traded uh, just a couple weeks ago from the Dodgers. He had 30 stolen bases last year, but that was only in 100 or 145 games. It's the fewest he's had since his rookie year. Yes. So the over/under, I'm going to set also at 45.5. I'm going to say under because I don't. I think there's a strong chance he does not play the full year. Now is that just from White Sox? Uh... White Sox having uh, having a deep system. That, um, not a deep system, but they have outfielders who are good. They've got Carlos Quinton and Alex Rios right now, as well as Mark Kotze is on the roster, I think, <laughs> still. But other than that, uh, Juan Pierre seems fairly entrenched in left field to me. Yeah, uh, I don't trust Juan Pierre to stay healthy the full year. I don't trust him Andrew to... Andrew Jones. Forgot about Andrew Jones. Yeah. I don't trust Juan Pierre to get consistent at bats the whole year. I don't trust Juan Pierre for anything. Yeah, I, I think, though, in my opinion, the White Sox are fairly desperate. Um, he has a fairly big contract, and they traded for him nonetheless from the Dodgers. I think they're going to play him unless some other acquisition happens. I don't think any in-house uh, options are going to take playing time away from him. So since I do not have a crystal ball that says that the White Sox will trade for anyone, I'm going to go over... I think uh, this could be a very big bounce-back year for Pierre if he can get the full playing time. Um, it should be interesting. I don't think the White Sox can compete with uh, Pierre at left field, but if they do end up playing him there the whole year, uh, then I think he will definitely clear 45.5. Moving on, we're going to go to home runs. We're going to talk a somewhat... Lesser-known home run hitter, still very prolific, Adrian Gonzalez for the San Diego Padres. And I am going to put this over-under at 40.5. He had 40 last year. 40 and a half home runs. I will say over for Adrian Gonzalez because he he will be 28 He'll turn 28 uh, this coming season, so he's he's just in his prime. And he had more home runs last year than he's ever had in fewer at-bats than he's ever had since his rookie year. Yeah. So he, he's getting better, he's getting stronger, and I don't th- I think he gets traded before the deadline. See, you stole, you stole <laughs> my thunder for part two, how many of which are for the Padres? I'll say 25. You think he gets traded at the deadline, or... Before. I think he gets traded around the deadline. That's okay. when his value will be the highest. Yes. And and uh, Jed Hoyer, the GM for the Padres, is a very bright man. He comes from a great system of. <laughs> now, do you think that the, uh, the Red Sox? I think the Red team from Boston might end up with him. I think I think there's a strong possibility that they do because they have six starting pitchers yeah. who can crack the rotation. W- Wakefield seems to think he's going to start in the year in the rotation, even though they have five pitchers who are, by all accounts, way better than him. Uh, so I, I think that they have pitching to spare. They can move Buckholz if they wanted, and they could package him with some of their prospects to get Gonzo. Yeah, I'm going to take the over on 40.5. I think he has a lot more protection 
while he is still in San Diego, I also think he gets traded. And I think it's probably right now, this early on, the Red Sox are probably in the lead for that race. I think it'll take uh, Clay, it'll take Casey Kelly probably, possibly Ryan Westmoreland. It's I think, not going to take all those guys. I, I think it's going to be similar to Mark Teixeira trade. I think it's going to be a huge, if they're going to move him at the deadline, it's going to be a huge, huge uh, amount of players. Maybe not those three specific, but I think involving those three... Two of those three will probably be involved. I don't and, think all three and of those three. Consi- I'd say considerably more. I mean, the Rangers did get Neftali Feliz and Jared Saltalamacchia, and, uh, who was good at the time, not anymore. But the, that mark to share trade is kind of the benchmark that a lot of teams set nowadays for trading their stars away. That was an unprecedented amount for Mark to share. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that... And they got forward, lucky. Like... I think moving forward, uh, teams are going to expect that. That if Carl Crawford gets traded, the Rays are going to want something similar to that. And if Adrian Gonzalez gets traded, the Padres are going to want something similar to that. We'll see when it comes. Obviously, there's no way to tell before that. Okay, so we're going to go league leader now. So not any specific player, but the league leader uh, in home runs... 45.5 45.5 is the over-under. Over. Over? Yeah. You think it's Pools? Pools or Ryan Howard? Yeah, Pools uh, had 47 last year. Ryan Howard had 45. And Prince Fielder had 46. Those were all coming from the National League. The, and Carlos Pena didn't play all year, and he had 39. He had 39. He could have he could have cracked 45.5. I, I think it's probably going to be over, but I also think that it's interesting that... Now we're talking about 45.5 and not 50 or 55 realistically like we were back in the um, the steroid-rich days of the late 90s. I don't think it's that interesting. I just I find I think that it's come down quite a bit. I think it's to a much more reasonable number. I like where that is. 45 seems just more normal to me in my arbitrary sense. All right, moving forward, pitching. And we are going to go league leader once again in wins, 20.5. Over. Over. Roy Halladay. Roy Halladay. That's um, Roy Halladay or a guy like Lester for the Red Sox or a guy like Sabathia for the Yankees. You know, someone, an ace on a contending team. Yeah, I, um, I'm going to take the under. I No one won 20 last year. Um, I think that we've kind of come away from that age of back when pitchers would, you know, win 20 to 30 games. Um, I think it's possible, but um, I think Roy Halladay switched to the National League in a much more uh, hitter-friendly park. Um, we'll, we'll put some pressure on him. I uh, am not a fan of CC Sabathia, uh, Vallejo native. Um, I think that he's going to come back from his 19. I think if it's going to be anyone, it might be King Felix in Seattle, who had 19. Uh, Justin Verlander had 19, as well as a bunch of Ks. So I think probably one of those two. They are probably not Verlander, given the uh, the uh, less offense that he's going to be playing with. But I think if if I had to pick one person to do it that had a chance at, at 20 uh, or more, um, I would say Felix Hernandez. You're a crazy person if you don't think Roy Halladay has a chance to get 20 wins. I think he has a chance. I just don't think it's really nearly his possible. his ERA might go uh might get worse moving to PNC to uh, wherever the Phillies play, but he's also going to be facing. We talked. I think we talked about this before. He's going to be yeah. facing a pitcher, and he's going to ha- the offense of the Phillies is so much better than the than the Blue Jays. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I just I just I I don't want to trust a guy who's been playing in Toronto his entire career. That doesn't make any sense. It's Toronto. Come on. He had 17 wins last year for the Blue Jays. He will definitely get 20 this year. Okay, that might end up on the board. Anyway, 17 wins, 10 losses. Now, talking about Blue Jays pitching, most wins by a single Blue Jays starter. We're going to give the field on this. And the over/under is set at nine point five. Over. You think you think someone will get to ten? Absolutely. Do you have any any guesses? No. <laughs> <laughs> Can you name five starting pitchers on the Blue Jays? Yes. I'm not going to, but I can. Okay. Sean Markham. 
it probably I have been hearing he just coming off uh, Tommy John surgery. Yeah. He could be their ace. He could be their number one. Yeah, whoever's the number one for the Blue Jays isn't going to be a real number Brett one. Brett Cecil's in there. He's not terrible. Brett Cecil, David Percy, Brad Meal, Brad Mills, Mark Resepsik. Yeah, I'm good, not sure if that's work. how it's pronounced. <laughs> yeah. Stumbled over that a little bit. Probably not. Uh, Ricky Romero out of right. Fullerton, I believe. I'll say Percy, Markham, or Cecil. Okay. More than 10 wins. I'd lean towards over, but I think that definitely says something about the Blue Jays when you take that one pitcher, Roy Halladay, away. That uh, they, they have depth, but they don't really have that much quality at this point remaining in the starting rotation. Okay, a few more before we move on out of over-unders. Uh, these are going to be quick, real quick hits. We're just going to say yes or no and move on. Uh, ben Sheets, 25 games started. Under. I'm going to go over. I think he's going to have a fairly good year. I think he's going to get a huge payday next year. Uh, Javier Vasquez of the New York, now New York, 200.5 Ks. Because that way there's no ties. He's not going to get a half a K. He might get half a K. He's not going to get half a K. <laughs> he had 238 last year with the Braves. You go. I'm going to say under. I think he's going to struggle big time. Uh, he wasn't a horrible pitcher last time in New York, but he was not a good pitcher last time in New York. So I'm going to say under. He probably gets close, but uh, if, that w- if that's the threshold, I say under. He's had 200 strikeouts each of the last three years. He had 241 for Montreal in 2003, 208 for Montreal in 2001. I think, even though I don't want him to because I don't like the Yankees, I think Javier Vasquez will have more than 200 strikeouts. You think it's close, though? I think it's close. I think his ERA will go, will be yeah, worse than it was absolutely. last year. His WHIP will be He's worse than it was last year. But strikeouts will stay over 200. All right, Clayton Kershaw had 185 last year. I'm gonna set it at 200.5 again. Clayton Kershaw. Uh, I'm gonna take over. As much as it hurts me to see the Dodgers have such a good young pitcher, he is that good, and I think a full year under his belt like last year. Um, He's, he's going to surpass 200, and I don't think it'll be that close. Yeah, I think he only had 171 innings pitched last year, um, so they were keeping him in check because yes. he's, he's a youngster. Uh, he'll get over 200 strikeouts if he's healthy the whole year, which might not happen. Okay. Moving on, this is going to be a dual one. It is a pitcher, but we're going to go wins and Ks. All right. Just because he's a favorite player of ours. Uh, Ubaldo Jimenez, 15.5 wins. And 200.5 Ks. Okay, he had 15 wins last year and 198 strikeouts in 218 innings pitched. The Rockies aren't great. I I will say over. Okay. Even though just talking, saying that I didn't like it, but yeah. I'll say he gets right around 16 wins. I mean, basically, the question is, do you think that this breakout that he had last year was legit, or do you think he will regress? That's that's I don't kind think, of the reason why I chose both those stats. I don't think he'll regress, but I don't think he'll improve by a lot either. He's still 26, so he has the room, and like, he's still young enough to yeah. improve uh, more on his numbers, but I think he'll. this is about what he is. Yeah, I agree where it's about what he is, but I think he regresses enough that he's going to end up below both of those. He does have a little bit of a tendency to give up the long ball. Um, You know, he, he, he is a very, very talented pitcher. His fastball is, in all regards, amazing. But um, I think that if you have to, if I set the, the over under where I did, that um that I would take the under. I think it will be close though. You said he he is prone to give up the long ball. Yes. You're gonna call me. I, that was <laughs> that pulled that out a little bit. So he allowed 10 home runs in 2007, 11 home runs in 2008, and 13 home runs last year. Tim Lincecum in 2007 allowed 12 home runs to Ubaldo's 10. Tim Lincecum allowed 11 in 2008 to Ubaldo's 11, and last year Tim Lincecum allowed 10 to Ubaldo's 13. So they're pretty similar. Okay. So I still think let's I'll throw out a stat that you can't even look up. He has a he has a tendency to give up a long ball uh, that leads to a loss, and we'll <laughs> we'll have to revisit that next year. I seem to remember him giving up a lot of home runs. He would have to be pitching at the end of the game for it to lead to a loss. 
Not necessarily. There's still two or three innings after that. For anyway, I kind of pulled that out of my butt a little bit. <laughs> We're going to move on. Last week we called it either or. We got a new name for it. It's called Pick a Player. We're going to refer to it as PAP. We got a couple to run through before we get to our in-depth breakdown of a single player that we're going to do every week. So starting with Pap, uh, first off, Ben Sheets or John Garland? Ben Sheets. See, um, this is the high potential, high risk, low potential, low risk. I've never liked John Garland. Yeah, I, I don't really like him either, and I think that Ben Sheets will bounce back, so I would take Ben Sheets, but I think it's interesting that when you're building a fantasy team, you kind of have to make these choices. I think Ben Sheets has under 25 starts, as I said earlier, but I still think I'd rather have him so than John Garland. So you really hate John Garland. He did something to your family in the past, and he must pay for that. All right, moving on. Ubaldo Jimenez or Justin Verlander? Justin Verlander. Yeah. I, I, wasn't, I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. He is considered... Up in that tier by a lot of people, I would take Justin Verlander in a heartbeat before Ubaldo Jimenez, but a lot of people do have him up in that tier at this point. Down, Back down to uh, not top-tier pitchers, Barry Zito or Nick Blackburn. Fairly <laughs> similar numbers last year, which uh, just speaks volumes to the suckitude of that contract. I will say Nick Blackburn because he is... On the upswing, if I'm not mistaken, he's still pretty young. I'm he's sure. old for a uh, new pitcher. I believe he's in his in mid to late 20s. Okay. But he's still younger than Barry. He's, he's 27. Older. Yes. That's his prime. He's he's entering the prime of his career. He will. He just turned 20. Or he's he's going to turn 28 in a month in February. Nick Blackburn, because he has room to go up, whereas Barry Zito only has room to get worse. I think Barry Zito struggled originally with the move to the National League, which is not what you would expect, especially to the National League West. That sucks in all in most cases. Uh I would I will take Barry Zito, but um that I just I You're saw a I, Giants fan. I am a Giants fan, but I, I I did want to throw that out there because I saw the similarity between their numbers last year and just how much money the Giants will be paying Barry Zito over the next couple of years. It's just ridiculous. All right, two guys that were traded for each other this last offseason, uh, just a couple of months ago, Edwin Jackson or Max Scherzer? Max Scherzer. Yeah. I like his potential. Um, I have never been a fan of Edwin Jackson since his Dodger days. I think the fade uh, that he had at the end of last year where he just kind of fell apart speaks to Melda for a whole year. He is fairly old. Uh, he has been around for a while. So I, I will definitely take Mad Max. Yeah, both of these guys have their flaws. Scherzer has the injury risk, yes. but Edwin Jackson has the falling off a cliff risk. Yes. I like I like Edwin Jackson. Uh, I think he had a good year last year, and I don't think he's going to be. I don't think he's going to regress like too terribly in Arizona. But. I think it, where his final numbers were this this past year, we can expect that again. But I don't think uh, we'll see the difference. I think we'll see more of a steady performance. We won't see the the peak that he had last year, but we will not see. We probably won't see the falling off. Right. Uh, so I think we've seen the career year of Edwin Jackson. I think we have yet to see the career year from Max Scherzer. Yeah, I, definitely. Um, moving on to a couple of useless closers: uh, Ryan Franklin or David Ardsma. In Fra- Ardsma. Yeah. Me too. I will never pick Ryan Franklin, no matter how big his beard gets. He's just boring. Yeah. Ardsma has been, he was a top prospect when he was with the Cubs, right? The Cubs, uh, with and the Giants the, and then the Cubs, I believe. Giant, yeah, Giants and the Cubs, and he was on the Red Sox for, uh, I think, a season. And then ended up with the Mariners. Yeah. yeah um, Franklin has a lot more job security at this point than he did at this time last year with Chris Prez being traded to the Indians. But I will still take Ardsma. There are some arms in the Mariners' pen that I think could cause some damage and maybe take that job away, but I don't think it'll happen. I think Ardsma will keep his job the entire year. I think he will be a very good closer. I'm not even sure he'll keep his job the entire year, but I'd rather have him than Franklin. There you go. All right. Uh, Two guys that are third base eligible, or at least one of them is, uh, and one of them plays third base, Ryan Zimmerman or Kevin Euclidus? Ryan Zimmerman or Kevin Euclidus? This is a good one. I, I think, despite being a Red Sox fan, I think for fantasy purposes, I'd rather have Ryan Zimmerman. Yeah, I think Ryan Zimmerman puts up some of the quietest big numbers. 
in the in, around fantasy baseball. He hit 292 last year, over 100 RBIs and runs, and 33 home runs. Which, when I looked this up a couple days ago and I saw 33 home runs, I was like, really, 33? Because he just he just doesn't get the press on the Nationals. Yeah, Euclid's he's first base and third base eligible in most leagues because he yes. played about half the season at each. Yes. Uh, so that adds to his value. Zimmerman is younger. Yeah. I'm, I'm comfortable saying that without checking. Um, <laughs> Five years younger. Yeah, so good. Uh, Euclid, though, has been playing sort of at his peak level over the last couple of years. Like, he he's not going to get better than this. Yeah. Whereas Ryan Zimmerman, I feel like he's still... He, he, while this is probably as good as he gets, he could, I could see him hitting 35 home runs and hitting 300. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we've seen the best yet. And I think uh, we have definitely seen the best from Kevin Euclid. Okay, moving forward. This one isn't going to be very close with me because I'm biased. Um, not in the way you would think, but um, I wanted to get Mark's opinion. Pablo Sandoval or Adrian Gonzalez? I prefer Adrian Gonzalez, and I know that's what you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I like Pablo Sandoval. I, I He doesn't have a lot of power. He, he will help your average, and he'll help your RBIs because he hits in the middle of the lineup. Even though it is a terrible lineup, he, still he will be hitting third, and he did have 25 home runs last year. Yeah, but, which which is not he doesn't have a lot of power in comparison to Adrian Gonzalez. Yes, the, the home run discrepancy between Gonzalez and Pablo, in my opinion, it makes up for the uh, average difference. Yeah, I will take Adrian Gonzalez as well. I hate Pablo Sandoval, and which is weird because he is the best hitter on the Giants at this point. I just don't like his approach to the game. I'm. I've never been a fan of players that have such low on-base percentages. They just kind of swing at everything. I never really liked Vlad back in the day, even when he was killing the ball, just as Pablo kills the ball. Um, I also, I, I, I might be very wrong on this. I don't think Pablo hits anywhere near 330 this year. Anywhere near 330? He hit 330 last year with a 25 home runs, but I don't think he comes close to that. I think... 300 would probably be the ceiling I put on Pablo Sandoval. I don't think it'll be that big of a drop. He he's not he doesn't he's not very selective at the plate, but he's 23 and he has great contact skills. So there are players who don't get on base a lot but have high averages because they they just have really good hand-eye coordination. I guess he might just be one of those guys. I'm not a fan. Okay. Uh moving on Robinson Cano or Dustin Pedroia. Pedroia. Yeah, you're biased. I'm not biased. I am biased, but not. Uh, that's not why I'm choosing Pedroia. I, I was talking to someone else about this a couple days ago. I have Pedroia as, uh, I think he's the third best second baseman this year behind Utley and Kinsler. And the guy I was talking to agreed. He said it actually before I did. So Pedroia was coming off his MVP year two years ago. And last year, everyone was expecting him to sort of contend for that again. And he didn't. So now everyone's sort of low. Everyone is sort of low on him. So I think he is a good value this year because even if he continues the production he did last year, it was, it'll be a good value relative to where he's drafted. Yeah. He definitely has more uh, stolen bases than Cano and will continue to do that. Um, He had 20 last year while Cano only had five. But I think the uh, power difference where Cano Cano could push for 30 in the next couple of years. Um, he does tend to hit near uh, 320 or has to hit 320 last year and could continue to do that now that he's healthy and uh, progressing. It's close. I would probably take the average in home runs of Cano over the stolen bases of Pedroia, but a year from now I could be eating my, eating my words big time. Moving on, our last pap of the day, Adam Lind or Jason Worth? Jason Worth. They are extremely identical numbers, aside from Worth uh, having the steals and Lind having a considerably better batting average. So it's really kind of a similar thing to um, Ben Sheets and John Garland, uh, where you kind of just have to pick, like they're both... Decent options if you get them around the same area. Uh, Lind hit 305 last year, while while Worth only hit 268. So I think that's a pretty huge difference. Yeah, I think Jason Worth is he's on the much better team. Obviously, the Phillies are are good. Going back to the Roy Halladay debate, um, Jason Worth has the better offense around him. He'll have more runs and more RBIs. 
last year Lind had more RBIs, but I think Worth is on the better team. He, I think he will just be a better value. With the stolen bases and the power, you can't find guys who hit 30 home runs and 20 stolen bases anywhere. Yeah, I think that'll be where Worth's value comes from, but I think there's something to be said for a 35 home run hitter who hits consistently in the 300 range, as well as batting third or fourth in a lineup and getting 110 to 120 RBIs. I think 30 home run hitters who who hit 300 are more common than uh, hitters who have 35 home runs and 20 stolen bases. That's true. That, that could be true, but I would probably take the consistency and the average as well as the power with Lind. All right, now moving on to our last part of uh, the show where we're going to break down a player whenever we do fantasy baseball, which will be fairly often. We're going to break down a player in depth, give you our thoughts on his uh, potential for the upcoming season, and uh, play some over-under games with him. And today, um, starting off, we are going to go Joe Maurer of the Minnesota Twins. Coming off a career year, I believe he won the batting title. He hit 365. Uh, He had 28 home runs, 96 RBIs, 94 runs, and four stolen bases. And he missed a good chunk of the beginning of the year. So I think, uh, let's see. Yeah, he came close to his career high for at-bats. But he was definitely down there in games, missing a good chunk of the beginning of the year. The St. Paul native moving to target field this upcoming year, which I think has been underplayed by a lot of people. I think it's going to be a huge problem for him. Early on, it's you know, open weather in Minnesota. It's not going to be good. <laughs> and it's natural grass. It's not yeah. It's not turf anymore, which is, is bad for defenders and good for balls that you hit on the ground. Yeah, um... So I think, well, I think he has the potential to hit the same, or close to the same average, probably 350. I'm not sure the power stays, but that's just because this is the first time we've seen it. Yeah, he, he's a catcher, so the risk there is that he's going to get hurt. Because catchers, they take so much uh, so much of a beating that he's not ever going to play a 162-game season. The, the high he has in his career is 146, and that was 2008, when he only had nine home runs. Yeah. So the jump from he played eight less games in 2009 than he did in 2008, but he hit 19 more home runs. I don't know. I, I don't know why that happened. Yeah, I, I mean, I have no coming into his year, people often say that power is the last thing to develop. Yeah, but normally it's a gradual developing yeah, it thing. Doesn't it's just not, come out of it's not like nine this. to 28. Yeah. he is 26, so he could he could even he has the potential to do better than this if he ever does get that season where he plays 150, 155 games. But yeah, I think I don't the, see that coming. The Twins should be cautious. We've seen catchers who produce really well get overplayed and fall apart, like Russ Martin. The Dodgers kind of just rode him really hard the last couple of years, and he's a shell of the player he once was when he first came up. But yeah, I, th- I think it will be very interesting, first of all, to see. It, it, it'll be hard because we're not going to get to see another year in the Dome to see if he could compete, continue these numbers. We're going to have a completely new situation, so it's going to be hard to tell if, if he does fall off drastically in the power in the power area. Is it going to be um, the field, or is it going to be him regressing back to somewhere else? Uh, do you know if the ballpark is smaller or bigger than the old one? I don't know the exact dimensions, but I'm, because... I'm basing this solely off of Minnesota. It's going to still be pretty cold when the season starts. Yeah, I don't think... I'm not sure that'll play that big of a part in it. Um, the weather affects players sort of less than the actual size of the ballpark. I think he his average will probably go down a little bit because he won't have the uh, turf on his side making speeding up the ball. But that That's negligible. That, that'll drop his average a little bit, but not enough for you to like him any less. Um, with that said, I don't think that I'm going to have Joe Maurer on any of my teams because you're going to have to take him in the first or the second round. Yeah, I would say first round. First, Yeah, first or second round, and I... I I'm just not willing to pay. All that has to happen is one player to believe in the power increase yep. and um, to take him that early. There's always a first-round bust in, or three. Like last yeah. year, there was it was David Wright who, who didn't do as well. And there was Manny Ramirez that got Manny suspended. Ramirez. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was Grady Sizemore was another one. So there's always going to be guys who expected to do really well and don't. And I think Joe Maurer this year could be one of those guys. 
Yeah, I mean, this is a very just interesting case because it's so hard to tell where that power came from, <clears throat> if he was just grooving the ball really well, or if he's actually developing power and will continue this. And then also, I, I think I think Target Field is going to play a pretty big part in it. <clears throat> I've been in Minnesota. I've been in Minnesota during the winter, and it's cold. And it, it, the the beginning of the season is is it's still going to be fairly cold at that point, and it's going to get cold at the end of the season again. So I I think that um, the the Twins the organization might regret not having uh, spent the extra two hundred million or whatever it is for a retractable roof. But uh, it, it'll also be interesting because you know Maurer is coming up on free agency. Uh, he is a St. Paul native. So the Twins are going to hope to resign him, but Maurer's going to hope to continue having another great year and get some serious cash, probably in the range of $200 million a year, or $20 million a year. $200 million a year, wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> setting all kinds of records. Yeah, uh, $20 million a year is, Damn Yankees. I could say, uh, what Maurer could expect to make on the open market. It should be interesting to see if the Twins will actually uh, bring that kind of cash to the table or not. Um, okay, we're going to get to the over-under for Joe Maurer. I've set the average home run, RBI, and runs because stolen bases, I could set it at like two and we could guess, but it doesn't really <laughs> matter at that point. It's not, he had 13 in 2005. It's not going to happen again. So uh, I put the over-under for the average at 355. 355, I'm going to say under. I'm going to say under as well. I think target field, like I've been saying, is going to affect him, especially early on. And that's really, he started off hot as soon as he got back. And so if he starts off slow again, if he starts off slow with the weather and everything, adjusting to the new park, who knows how that will affect the rest of the year. Yeah, and that's that's one thing with... Uh... With statistics is that as the sample size grows, the averages sort of sort of regress to the where yeah. they should be. So he had, while he had a good amount of at bats, he had a 5.23 last year. If he plays a full season, sort of the grind, well, I think will, absolutely, as well as the the fact that he's not going to be playing on turf and, and that he can't. It's not likely that he's going to duplicate a 3.65 average. Yeah. Okay. Moving on to home runs, I put it at 25. 25. I will say under. I think. He's not going to hit nine again. I think he'll hit in the range of 15 to 20. I think in there will be where his home runs end up. Yeah. Um, like we've been saying, it's hard to tell where this power came from, if it's going to stay or not. I'm going to pick the over, but that's just because I'm a devil's advocate. I, I could easily see him hitting less than 25, but um, I think it's very possible that the power is legit. Now for RBIs and runs... The Twins have a fairly good offense. I put both of them at 95. Both of them at 95. He had 94 runs last year and 96 RBIs last year. Yes. So I'm going to go... Can I go one or the other? Do I, can I go runs? And yeah, RBIs? we'll go with RBIs first. 95. I, think RB, I think he'll get over 95 RBIs. And I think he'll get under 95 runs. Okay. I'm going to go over for both. I think the Twins offense with Jason Kubel, Michael Kadair, they've got Denard Spann in center, and they have J.J. Hardy looking to bounce back at short. They still, And then, of course, Justin Morneau at first. And Jim Tomey. Jim Tomey off the bench. The incomparable Delman Young in left field. Um, but their third base and second base situations will be the um, the 8 and 9 in the batting order, I'm sure, whoever is out there. Nick Punto. Um, but I think the rest of the offense, and really the offense that will be affecting Joe Maurer directly around him in the lineup, I think is very good. And I think uh, will be improving upon last year. And I, th- I think if he can get uh, the sa- a similar number of at-bats, um, they, ha- they were playing him at DH a lot, so he didn't necessarily play. He only played uh, 109 games out of the 138 last year at catcher. Um, So I think if they continue to do that and play him at DH and force Jason Kubel out to left field or wherever, I think um, we could definitely see over 95, pushing 100 for both. 
All right, and with that, we are going to wrap it up here for episode three of the No Show Sportscast. We'd like to thank you for listening in. Uh, I'd like to remind everyone of our email and blog. Our blog is at noshowsports.blogspot.com. We're going to try to post there fairly regularly. Um, Right now, we've got a post up by myself uh, regarding Tim Lincecum and his situation uh, that will be upcoming with arbitration. And anyone who listens in and wants to share your thoughts, if you disagree, agree, want to tell us how awesome we are, you can email us at noshowsports at gmail.com. Once again, I'd like to thank you for joining us, and uh, we will see you in a week. Thank you.